You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Uh, we're going to read six verses from Matthew 7. Uh, what we love doing at Summit is um, preach uh, through the whole counsel of God, uh, verse by verse. Uh, that way, you know, we get a better understanding of the context. But Matthew 7, 1 to 6, that's the passage for today. And this is what Jesus says. It is the greatest sermon that, ever, that was ever preached, Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they tremble them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, Father. Thank you that it's been so challenging to us, so beneficial to us, Father. I pray that today would be no different, that you would um, just bless us with this word. And, and Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bear much fruit in us. May we not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, Father, each one of us. I ask, Lord God, that, that your Holy Spirit would grab a hold of all of our hearts here this morning, and that you would do the work that only you can do, Holy Spirit. Um, convict us. Uh, lift us up, save us, do what you need to do, Father. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated, church. There's a scene in John chapter 8 from the life of Jesus that I'm sure that you are very familiar with, with just as you're familiar with the passage that I just read. Uh, and a woman was caught in adultery. Remember that, that, um, that story? She was caught red-handed, we might say. And a group of religious men, Pharisees and scribes, took her. They threw her down in the middle of the temple courts in front of Jesus for judgment. There you go, Jesus. Judge her. The law of Moses commands us that we stone her. They knew this very well. And the men are there with the murder weapons, stones in hand. Can you picture this scene? I mean, this woman is shaking, I'm sure. Probably half naked, trembling, covered in dust. And these religious guys are there ready to execute her, to just kill her. There's absolutely no talk of the man who was also caught in adultery. Where was he? <laughs> And the woman is there by herself, scared and alone. And the Pharisees finally think, we got Jesus. Yeah, we've caught him finally. I mean, if Jesus were to show mercy to this woman, he would be going against what the Mosaic law commands, the stoner, the killer, right? And his ministry would finally be unraveled. Ah, we got you, Jesus. On the other hand, if you were to command that she would... Uh, that she should be killed, it would be going against what he was preaching his whole life, his ministry. Because Jesus elevated love your neighbor as yourself as one of the greatest commandments. So they finally think, we got you, Jesus. We got you. It's a powerful story, I think, from John chapter 8. And I think it's powerful for each one of us because we can see ourselves in it with all the respect We've all been that woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've all been guilty. We've all been on the ground and maybe people, uh, you know, didn't have literal stones to hurl at you, right? But you know what it feels like, don't you? To have all eyes on you, to, to be exposed, to be vulnerable, to, to have a flaw, to be surrounded by critics, to, to be surrounded by accusers, to be surrounded by judges. We've all been there. To live, I mean, we, to, to be exposed, 
to be vulnerable. We live in the social media age, don't we? We live in the age of mean tweets. <laughs> and, and, and I think this, this is one of the curses of social media, that everyone has an opinion and they get to share it with me and they don't even know me. Why? Have you, have you heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me? Have you heard that before? Do you know what it means? I think it's one of the greatest lies that we teach our children, really. And if you don't know what this idiom means, let me just, you know, let me just, um, let me just say it. It means childish, hurtful words cannot cause any physical pain. And therefore, they'll be ignored and disregarded. Really? Really? I mean, words shape worlds. And maybe you never had a literal threat of someone, you know, throwing a large stone at you. But we've been there where people are hurling judgments, judgment at you and offenses and criticism and hatred. And it really hurts, doesn't it? And I would say this, it hurts really bad. Sometimes even more than a physical attack. Sometimes even more than a punch to the face. Words hurt. I mean, tell that to that nursery rhyme, sticks and stones to the parents of a child who committed suicide because of cyberbullying. Words can kill and words can build up. Words can kill and words can build up, the Bible says. And today we're talking about Sticks and stones. We are talking about the power of judgment. And we live in this hypercritical, judgmental age. And yet the point today is not necessarily that we're all the victims here. Oh, poor us. We're the woman in the middle, you know, on the ground. All of us are, and and, and we're in the middle of the courts and everyone's looking at us. Everyone's judging us. Oh, they caught us red-handed. No, Jesus' point today is actually you are the accuser. I am the one that throws the stone. Mm. We see ourselves in the story from John 8, not just as the victim, but all of us have held the stone. Maybe, I mean, this is a pretty stone. My apologies. It's very pretty. It's not supposed to look pretty. <laughs> we've all held the stone, right? We, we've, 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 we were on the outside circling in, you know, quick to judge, quick to condemn, merciless in our dealings with other people. And that is the kind of attitude, church, that Jesus is trying to get his church rid of. So I pray that today is challenging for you. I really, I've been praying this whole week that today would be challenging for you and challenging for me, especially if you're someone who's the accuser. So let's jump into our teaching text for today. We're going to take uh, two verses at a time, verses five and six. We're going to deal with them separately. But let's, let me just read it again. Verses one and two, and we'll get to work. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, this is a very popular passage. And, and, and as you probably know, especially these two first verses, right? And, and it's, it's funny. I was just talking to Dan. Uh, this is, these two verses are quoted by unchurched people to church people all the time. Ah, don't judge. Don't judge. You go to church, don't judge, right? <laughs> we hear that all the time. What, what I want to do today is give you the main point of the sermon right at the beginning of the sermon and then spend the rest of the sermon explaining what it means. Also, as we are walking through these six verses, uh, we are going to look at three different practices that I want us to be challenged with today and kind of take them home, take them and apply them to our lives. So one main point and then three practices that we, that we I, I think, Jesus is challenging, challenging us with. So here's the main point. Use your judgment, not your judgment. Use your judgment, not your judgment. Does that clear everything up? <laughs> Are we good to pray and end it? This is one of those passages that is very easy to misinterpret because it all hinges on the definition of the word judgment or to judge. And judgment, like just like any other word, has a range of meaning and it has a range of meaning in the original, in the Greek. 
So the Greek word for judgment is the word krino, krino. And it really means three main things, three main things. And the first meaning is to judge, and that's in a judicial sense. It's, it's, this, it's in a legal sense. And this happens in a courtroom and a judge makes a decision on something. That's one way that we can use this word krino in. The second sense would be to condemn, to condemn to judge overtly in a, in a negative sense, to condemn someone, to condemn someone's lifestyle, to condemn someone's behavior. And the third sense that we see this or that we can use this word judgment uh, or the word krino in Greek is to discern, to discern. There's this really, uh, this reality that in order to make smart decisions in life, you must use your what? Your judgment or discernment, which is the same thing, your judgment. It is very interesting that you must use the same critical thinking of your brain that you would use to condemn someone else to discern. Isn't that interesting? So when, when I say use your judgment, not your judgment, what Jesus is going to teach us today is to use your judgment as in your discernment, but not your judgment as in your condemnation of others. Does that, does that make sense? So let's compare for a moment these two senses, being judgmental and then being discerning, because the first sense is clear, right? The, uh, the judging in a legal sense where the judge pronounces judgment on you, we'll leave that alone. That's pretty fairly clear. So to condemn or to be judgmental is to be hyper, hypercritical, more critical than necessary. It means to be destructive. It means to be cold-hearted. It's, it's to be hypocritical. And actually, Jesus uses the word hypocrite to actually describe this kind of judging that we're talking about. You yourself are actually sinful and living in sin, living with unresolved, unrepented sin, but you're pointing out the sins and the flaws of others. Ah, do you hear the brother? Do you see the sin? Oh, yes, yes, they, they sin. Oh, wow, look, look at them, right? Never at yourself. Another characteristic of this judgmental sense is to care less. You could care less about your brother. You could care less about your sister. That's why I wanted to start with that scene from John 8. Those religious men could care less about the life of that woman that they caught in adultery. They could care less about her. They could care less about her reputation, her physical life. They could just care less. They were just using her as a means to interrupt Jesus. They could care less if she lived or died at the end of the day. Another characteristic of this judgmental sense is to almost take joy in someone's punishment. Hmm. Have you met people like that? Or have you been that person? I'm so glad they got what was coming to them. Right? Maybe you don't have to say it, but you're thinking it. <laughs> right? It's almost to enjoy when someone is reaping their consequences the consequence of, the, of, of their bad decisions and all of that, all of that is condemnation. And that's what, Je that's what Jesus is telling us not to do. In fact, he says, if you live a life of this, of doing this, you can expect the same coming to you. You can expect the same treatment when God judges you. By the way, that's a very serious warning, very serious warning. But in the other sense, discernment, it's different. It's the same, but it's different. Let me, let me explain. To discern, it still means to be critical. Not hypercritical, but to be critical. And it's critical because you have to look into making decisions, good decisions, ethical decisions. You have to deal with morality, and then you have to, to do it through a discerning viewpoint. You can't just throw right and wrong out the window like our culture is doing, right? You can't just redefine good and evil. We can't do that. Discernment as opposed to being judgmental is constructive, not destructive. So if you're going to give someone critical feedback, you're not going to do it because you want to see them see how devastated they are, right? You do it because you genuinely want what's good for them, right? That's, that's, the, that's the difference. Like a good parent would give, uh, you know, constructive criticism or constructive critical feedback to their children because they want to see them flourish, right? That's, that's the whole point. That's the, that's the vision behind that criticism. Also, discernment is compassionate. It is compassionate. It's genuine. You care about the person and you desire repentance. You desire reconciliation. You desire, you know, a, a positive outcome. 
unlike judging someone and unlike condemning someone where you just want what's, you know, you want them to suffer and you want them to whatever, all the negative emotions and things. Now that we are pretty clear on these two meanings of the word judgment, let me just say this. It seems to me that as I, even at the beginning when I started reading the passage, and it's very clear, it really jumps at you. Um, it seems to me that Jesus is telling us in our passage that we are not fit to be judges. Huh. Interesting, surprising. And he's using this illustration of a measure. This is a very common practice uh, in the ancient world. And if you were to go to the store and buy grain, uh, there would be a, a standard scoop. And maybe if, if there, there were, you know, if you were to weigh, weigh it out and there, there would be a standard weight, a standard measure, so that you would make sure that when you go and buy grain, you would get the exact amount that you should be purchasing, right? If you were a corrupt salesman, though, you would use a bad measure. You would use a false weight. You would use a false scoop. And what Jesus is saying is, if you are going to be like that and when, when you're dealing with other people, don't expect God to show mercy. Don't expect God to show grace and bounty and blessing in your life. Just don't. We would, we would like to think of ourselves as the perfect judge, perfect judges, don't we? But we're so far off from that, all of us. Every single one of us is a biased source. And there is actually only one righteous judge of the universe. That is God. James, the brother of Jesus, remember we went through the book of James as well. I don't know if this verse seems familiar to you, but he's really commenting on the same principle that we're looking at today in, 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 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. James 4.12 says this, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So James, the brother of Jesus, uses this truth that God is uh, the only judge, right? To, to, as a reason to give us a, I think, a bigger perspective. And I think Jesus is kind of doing the same thing. That when you judge others in this condemning sense, you are playing God. You are playing God. If that's what you want to do, just so you know, you're playing God. And the reality is that men looks, all of us, we look at the outward appearance but only God sees the heart. Do you see people's motives? Let me just ask, do, do we see people's motives? Do you see people's hearts? What's in their hearts? Do you see the hearts in, 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 in their full story? Do, do, do we? Do you? We would love to have 100% of an opinion with only 2% of the information. And we do that a lot. Billy Graham is famous for this line, and I quote, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. Now, hold on. We have to be very careful with this quote because some people may take this as, see, I told you, I told you, our job is to never speak the truth, just love, not, not, don't judge me, just love, just love, right? First of all, if your love doesn't speak the truth, that's not God's love. <laughs> let's, just, let's just end that there, Okay. And by the way, not sure if you've ever heard one of, one of Billy Graham's sermons. He definitely spoke against sin. He definitely spoke of judgment. But nevertheless, he really got it right with this quote. If, if we see it in the right context, that is. That it's the Holy Spirit's ultimate job to convict. That it's God's job to judge. And it's our job to love. And by the way, God elevated this loving your neighbor as yourself from kind of an obscure commandment from Leviticus 19. And Jesus elevated it to one of the, our top things that we need to be, to, to be focused on. But it doesn't mean that you should never call sin, sin. Does that make sense? Just want to be clear on that. So, so here's a good practice. And the first practice that I think Jesus is challenging us with today. So the main point, again, Use your judgment, not your judgment. And the first practice is this. Let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. We need to understand that God is the ultimate judge in every single human being, past, present, and future, will stand before Christ one day. And we will all give an account for all the things that we've done, for all the things that we've said, even the hidden things of the heart, he'll know about those. Even the motivations behind the actions and the words in our life, he'll know about. And not sure about you, but that is a sobering reality. 
And so if that is true, if that, if God is really judge, he's going to judge everyone and everything, then you don't need to actually condemn anyone here and now. You see the point? <laughs> because they will face judgment one day. Don't worry about being the judge or they'll face it. <laughs> Trust me. Trust the Bible. Nothing will get past the most righteous and delicate eye, the eye of the Lord, not even the wrong motives of the heart. And so our job is to speak truth and to do it in love. Let's continue with our text, verses three and four. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me just take the speck out of your own eye, out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? Jesus uses a carpentry illustration. And if we remember Jesus' earthly adoptive father, Joseph, was a carpenter in and Jesus knew the trade very well. I, I'm sure he knew a thing or two about carpentry, about wood. About, and, and by the way, because I got to throw this out there, this was way before safety glasses were invented. Okay, let's just keep that in mind. Now, how absurd would this be? Let me give you an illustration here. Maybe this happened to you where you had a simple project to do around the house, like maybe hanging up a picture. And you had to drill a hole, just a small hole, right? And, and, and you said, forget it. I'm not going to use safety glasses. I mean, it's just drilling a small hole in the wall. What could go wrong, right? But you got some sawdust in your eye or you got some of that really lovely drywall stuff that, you know, right in your eye. You're like, ah, I've lost count how many times I've done that. I lost count of things. Emma told me, dude, wear some safe. Oh, you did it again, right? I, I, I do it all the time. And it's not pleasant to get that sawdust in your eye, right? Or, or let alone a splinter or a speck. But here's something else that is a problem. A much, much bigger problem. Imagine that you're cutting this plank or a piece of wood. And I got one right here. I, I was going for a bigger one, but it's what I had. Imagine you're cutting this piece of wood in, in with a miter saw or a skill saw or a table saw. I mean, these machines, some of them are, man, they're vicious. See, they're going to cut your fingers like they go through your fingers like, you're, like, it's a, like it's butter, right? So you have to be very careful. Now, imagine that you're holding it, you're not holding it straight. So if you've ever cut like a piece of wood on a, on a miter saw, let's say, and you're not holding it straight, it can really jerk. It can really pull. It can really do some damage to your fingers, your face, right? So imagine that you do that and imagine that it just hits you right in the face and it just crushes your skull and now you got this plank sticking out of your eye. <laughs> it, it, it really hemorrhaging, there's guts everywhere, blood everywhere, right? I mean, you can kind of, sorry for the visual, but this could, this could happen, right? Now imagine your body is, is there with you. Your best friend is there with you. And a few minutes before, he got the sawdust in his eye because he was drilling that small hole that I was talking about. He was helping you hanging up that picture, that painting, right? So imagine you turning to him with this thing in your eye. It's like, dude, can I help you with that sawdust in your eye? Let me come here. Come here. Let me help you. How absurd would that be? I mean, you need to go to the hospital. Dude, dude, <laughs> your skull is dented. <laughs> And you're asking me to, to help with the, right? How absurd is that? And I think this kind of, this is what Jesus was going for. Painting this, this, this imagery, this illustration. Let me ask just, just, for the, just for the record. So two scenarios, plank in the eye, plank in the skull, and then sawdust. Nah, you know, you can live with it, <laughs> right? Which one is worse? The plank, of course. But not to minimize, because the Bible doesn't either, not to minimize the fact that your friend still has the splinter or the sawdust in his eye and needs to get that out too. and needs to fix that as well. But yes, the plank is much, much worse. And what Jesus is saying is, if you need to be critical about someone else's sin, be critical about your own sin, brother and sister. You really need to look in the mirror. <laughs> You really need to identify what we call blind spots. And here's the second practice for us. So the first one, let God be the judge. And the second one, here we go. Find your blind spots because you have them. Find your blind spots. Find the planks that are sticking out of your eye 
sticking out of your skull. Find them. And the reason I think they're called blind spots is not only for the reason that they blind you, because you can't see out of that eye anymore, like, oh, where am I going? Because sin clouds our vision, doesn't it? Sin has a way of darkening our hearts and hardening our hearts. It blinds us. And Jesus says in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think that the number one thing that prevents humanity from seeing God is unresolved sin unresolved, unrepented of sin. But there are blind spots also because we don't always see them ourselves. Like we walk around with planks in our eyes. You know, like everyone's like, dude, you got a thing sticking. It's like three feet long. You really can't see it. What are you talking about? Dude, everyone else is seeing it. But that happens, Right? I mean, just picture this. You have literally a log in your eye and you're not aware of it. <laughs> and it's safe to say that you're probably the only one who's not aware of it because it's like two feet long, <laughs> right? Everyone else is, man, I can see it. So then I would ask you this question. What are the sins in your life that have not been sanctified yet? What are they? What are the sins that have not been resolved at the foot of the cross yet? Unresolved, unrepented of. What are the things that you are continually grieving the Holy Spirit about, but not doing anything about that conviction that he brings about in your life? What are your character flaws that you could care less about, like those men towards that woman? If you want to do a good assessment on your life, and specifically on what we're talking about, read about the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, so sobering. And just rate yourself one to five. How well do I embody each one of them? One to five. And bring it to the Lord. Also, if you really want to know and identify your planks, these things sticking out of your eye, if you want to identify them, and we should, it's a good practice. Let's find our blind spots. Just ask God to show you. Church, let's ask God to show us. And God, and God has got to show us the sin in our life. And, and I would imagine that God would. <laughs> would. And, and by the way, we need to be reminded that this is one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It's not just to seal us for the day of redemption, but to sanctify us, to, re to remind us what the Word says and to grow us and mature us. Oh, I know. It's not comfortable. I know. But, but, but listen, that's why we don't do it, because it's not comfortable. Everyone's running away from it. Christians are not really talking about this. This is not really preached on. But I encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, show me. Am I living in sin? Is there sin in my life that I'm not aware of? Help me take these planks out of my eye. And maybe you're praying for that and through that. And you're not really hearing anything. If that's the case, ask. Just ask someone that knows you really well. Ask your wife. <laughs> ask your parents, your best friend, but make sure you ask a godly person in your life. We all need a prophet Nathan in our life. Prophet Nathan? Well, yeah. Do you remember David's sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel? Everyone knows about this. I mean, right? If you hear about David, oh yeah, I remember that sinful season in his life. David is a man after God's own heart. He's one of the greatest kings of Israel. And yet, man, he had this, this dark season of sin in his life. And there was clear and heavy consequences, right? And repercussions because of this sin in his life. And he, he committed adultery. We all, we all know about that. Conceived a child with Bathsheba. And then he tried to cover it up by murdering her husband, right? It's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> and so he does all of this and he's totally oblivious to it. This is a great example of plank or log in the eye, David. And we're reading this and we're like, David, dude, are you serious? You're walking with a plank sticking out of your eye. Are you serious, King David, the greatest king to ever live? What is going on? And David is living life like nothing happened. And God sends prophet Nathan. That's why we need a prophet Nathan in our life. And Nathan tells him a story, right? Just this great story. Story about a guy who had a little lamb and a rich guy stole that poor, poor guy's lamb and he killed it and then he ate it. And David is so outraged at this rich man and he says, show me the man. He deserves to die. 
Planck and Speck. What a great example. Really, David? Dude, he stole a little lamb. <laughs> Is that seriously capital punishment? David, you committed adultery and murder. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen, the winner for Planck versus Speck award goes to David. <laughs> and to a lot of us, a lot of times. And in this intense dialogue between Nathan and, and the prophet Nathan and David, we have this powerful and convicting line from prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 7. You are the man, David. You are that man. Ooh. And David, all of a sudden, realizes his sin. David, all of a sudden, realizes the plank sticking out of his skull, right? And bottom line, if this is what Jesus is saying to us, church, in this passage, you are the man. You are the woman. I am the man. How is that sitting? Church, one of the most effective ways to prevent and avoid and to be desensitized from feeling guilty of your own sin is to judge everyone else's sin in their life. And I would say this as well. The more judgmental people are, the more sin that they have hiding in their life. If you've met a judgmental person, you've just met a person that's hiding a lot of sin in their life. Paul in the book of Romans makes a similar point. Romans chapter 1, right at the end of the chapter, he lists a bunch of sins. And a lot of us Christians like to use Romans 1, use this list to point out sins in everyone else's life. And, and they don't really read the, next, the very next chapter, Romans chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and this is what Paul says. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, we don't always do the exact things, the exact same things that we accuse other people of doing, sure. And that's kind of the, that's kind of, that's where it gets us. One way to get a Christian to be really judgmental is to put him beside another that sins differently, right? But essentially the case that Paul is making here, and he'll explain it, a little bit further in the next chapter in Romans 3.23 is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, we've all sinned. And when we sin, we don't just sin against man, but we sin against, you know, the eternal God of the universe. And the punishment against the sin, that sin is, the, is an eternal kind of punishment. We will all stand, like I said earlier, before Jesus on judgment day to give an account of our deeds and of our actions, of our words, and all the motivations behind our actions and our words. But the beautiful thing, church, about the gospel is that God is not only infinitely just, but He is what? He's the justifier. How awesome is that? He's not only fully righteous and always true in His discernment and His judgment and in His giving of the rules, but he made a way for us to be justified by sending Jesus Christ as, as you know, his and only son into the world to live a perfect life and then face the wrath of God himself and the judgment of God himself on our behalf for our sin. How awesome is that? And then by the power of God, he's raised from the grave three days later in victory. And so every single one of us will stand before Jesus Christ as the righteous judge one day. But we have two options. We all have two options. Every person on planet earth has two options. We can try to face that judgment ourselves on our own, right? Or we can face that judgment being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that he became sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. And if we trust and fully trust in Jesus and we pray that he would forgive us and lead our life and, and begin this relationship with him, guess what? He's going to clothe you in his righteousness so that when we stand in judgment, man, we can stand in grace, standing fully forgiven and cleansed and we can actually have confidence on the day of judgment. How amazing is that is? And I think a lot of us, which is awesome, and I hope all of us here this morning, but I can't make that call. We have that confidence here this morning because we fully are trusting Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? 
And I just want to invite you, if, if for you, I mean, one of you here, it's still kind of a question mark. You don't know what's happening after death, man. I don't know. I don't really know God. I don't really, today can be that day that God is drawing you to repentance, that God is drawing you to put your full trust and your full faith in him. And, and you can just pray today and ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. Today can be that day. Let's continue with verse five. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We know that the word hypocrite means actor, someone who, who puts on a mask and pretends he's someone else. We, we looked at this a few weeks back, right? Jesus uses it quite often in the Sermon on the Mount. But again, picture the plank sticking out of your eye. All right, just, just, you know, imagine. And then Jesus is just like, really, dude? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna judge him? Can't you see what's sticking out of your skull? Like, really? He's like, seriously? You hypocrite? Really? Who are you fooling by calling out other people with some sawdust in their eyes? Or splinter? I mean, to go around calling out other people's sin while you have a large amount of unconfessed and unresolved sin is just absurd. You hypocrite. The reality is that Jesus is not talking about the fact that we need to remove our sin, the plank in our eye, in order that we will be saved. This is not an issue here. That's not what we're talking about, right? So, so, so that we will be justified. No, he's talking about the process of sanctification, not justification. Let me, I know I'm throwing a lot of theological words at you, but let me just explain. Justification is God declaring you in a legal sense that you are absolved, that you are not guilty of your sin. That's when you're justified and you can be certain of your salvation. How awesome that a lot of us here, and I hope most of us are justified through what Jesus has done, right? And, and, but, but sanctification now, right, is this ongoing process where one of the reasons God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us is to continue the process of becoming more and more like Christ. There's a difference there. To grow in the fruit of the Spirit, to convict you of sin, to show you your shortcomings, to show you where you need to grow. And for many Christians, sadly, the idea of salvation stops at justification. I'm justified. I'm fine. I need to change my life. No, no, I'm good. No, it's not good. <laughs> and I would say that sanctification is just as much the process of continuing to be more and more saved in the sense of continuing to be more and more freed from sin. So, so we're not only talking about the punishment of sin going to hell, but the power of sin over our life here and now, living more and more in freedom from the power of sin. Does that make sense? Well, here's the question. Here's a question for us. Are we letting the Holy Spirit sanctify us then? Are you letting the Holy Spirit sanctify you? And if you take Jesus' word seriously, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. He is. But it's not a passive process either. It's, it's an active process where we're called to be active and, and taking planks out of our eyes, taking logs out of our eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus is not talking about justification you know, when he's talking about removing planks of our eyes, but sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like him. But there are going to be steps that you yourself need to take. Boundaries that you need to set in place, Christian. Accountability that you need to set up in your life. There are decisions that only you can make. Sanctification is not just sitting by and wondering why the Holy Spirit hasn't grown me yet. Like, what's going on? You know, I'm just kind of, you know, sitting back. He's going to want you and ask you to be actively involved in the process. So hypocrisy, getting back at our, at our word here, is this need to act perfect as if nothing is wrong. My life is perfect. Thank you very much. To go to church and wear a mask, you know. How's it going, brother? It's going great. No sins this week. No sins last week. <laughs> I'm perfect. Really, dude? Literally, all of us are watching your plank sticking out of your eye. Literally, you, that's absurd. Come on now. Just let the Holy Spirit convict you and sanctify you. You know, a lot of people think that if you're convicted of sin, that's kind of weakness. No, it's actually a sign of maturity <laughs> that you are actually finally, finally maturing, 
right? So don't think that it's a sign of weakness. And as the Holy Spirit does that, convicts us, right, and makes you aware of the planks in your eyes, and as He shows you and helps you to follow the steps of sanctification, it is imperative that you and I follow them and listen and obey. Steps like confession, repentance, boundaries, making godly decisions, you know, and over time, guess what? Over time, guess what? You find freedom over time walking with the Holy Spirit, with God. The Holy Spirit will bring freedom in your life, but you need to be obedient, Christian. Amen? But guess who still has an eye problem? Guess who still has an eye problem? Your brother and sister. Sure, you may have taken the plank out, but guess who still has an eye problem? A speck, a little bit of sawdust. Your brother, your sister. And this is the part in Matthew 7 that most people overlook. Because we all talk about the plank and that's it. No, 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 no. The Bible talks about your brother has some problems too. People love to quote verse 1. Don't judge, don't judge. But they don't really quite read all the way to verse 5. Your brother has some problems too. Go help him out. So let me ask you. Have you ever had this problem where you literally needed another human being to look at your eye because you got something like, dude, just please, please, come on. I I got something like stuck in here. I just worked on, I was cutting something. Something flew in my eye. Please, please just take a look at it. We've all done that, right? (laughs) But the reality is that you don't need someone who has a log sticking out to look at your eye, right? Because they probably need, you need, if that's the case, you need a hospital, right? And that's like the last person you need to help out because they can't see straight. In the same way, spiritually speaking, you need someone who's experienced freedom and sanctification to help you. Do you know what that's called? Discipleship. Discipleship. This is where believers are helping other believers get splinters out of their own eyes, out of their eyes, because they themselves have experienced freedom. Not perfection, not perfection. And not just justification, but, but I'm talking about genuine sanctification. They've grown into maturity. There's a level of maturity there. If you think that Jesus, when he's saying, judge not, he's saying you should never call sin, sin, call, never call out sin. I challenge you to read what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15. Actually, let me just read it for us this morning. He says, if, you, if your brother sins against you, go on what? Go and don't tell him anything because you don't want to be judgmental. No. Just go and tell him his fault. Expose the sin in their life. So the Bible says completely the opposite of what the culture's doing right now. Jesus cannot mean in chapter seven in our passage that Christians should never call sin, sin. He's not saying that we should be like jellyfish, you know, jellyfish without brains, without spines. You know, we should just go with the flow of culture. Sure, Jesus tells us to not be judgmental, but at the same time, we must be careful not to become jellyfish. Or, or, you know, we're becoming accepting of any ideology, any lifestyle, any behavior. Jesus himself tells us to actually be the ones to expose, to help expose sin in the life of a brother. And love, of course. Now, there's a little bit of a nuance here. I don't think we're called at every... Uh, you know, street corner, try to be the morality police for the world. We know that the world, you know, is not going to live according to the way of the kingdom. Sure, we're called to do this to what? To our brothers and sisters, not the world, by the way. But the reality is that we must still stand for truth. Amen. And by the way, spiritually mature people will do this and they will do it well. Have you seen someone that does this well? People that have experienced sanctification for themselves. And by the way, they they won't be perfect, but they would have experienced a level of conviction, confession, repentance, reconciliation in their life. They would have experienced some of these things in their life. And they'll see a believer who's not as far along in the process of their sanctification. And they will begin to walk alongside them and help be the prophet Nathan to them. Maybe a little less abrasive than Nathan, but nevertheless, a prophet Nathan. When it comes to discipleship, because I got to say this, as well, uh, there's an expectation that every disciple should eventually become a what? A disciple maker. Listen, church, you, you haven't grown into maturity in your discipleship until 
you get to the point, not that you've gotten really good at removing planks in your eye or you've experienced sanctification by the Holy Spirit, but you've actually gotten good at going to other people and helping them do the same. And by the way, this is the Great Commission. And if we believe in evangelism, we ought to believe in discipleship. So here's the third practice for us today. First one, let God be judge. Then find your blind spots. And then third, help someone grow spiritually. That's exactly what this verse is saying. Go help your brother. He's got some stuff in his eye. Go help him. Help someone grow spiritually. Take the log out. Do some growing. And then go help your brother and sister. So the question is, how could you help someone grow spiritually? Is there someone in your life? And by the way, if you have kids, it's definitely your kids. It's your primary responsibility as a parent to disciple your kids. But if there's no one, you just need someone. Find someone maybe to meet with over coffee or or to get plugged in and, and serve even in our Sunday school, serving our kids. We actually have a course for the men, by the way, here at Summit, an opportunity to get discipled. And then when you finish it, guess what? You have the opportunity to lead others through it. How awesome. Have your eyes open, and I'm certain that God will put someone on your heart that you can help grow spiritually. Don't just think of yourself, brother. If that's the case, you still have some maturing to do. You'll know when you're mature, when you're thinking of others, and and all of a sudden, oh, they need help, they need help, they need help. Ah, that's a sign of growth. This is a very real process in which the Holy Spirit is going to use you to expose some specks in someone else's eye, a brother or a sister. And by the way, it's not your job to make that speck look like a, look like a plank. That's not our job, right? It's not our job to be condemning that person and destroying that person. Sometimes you can easily take the spark of faith in someone and smother it by, 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 smother it by being judgmental in a way that Jesus is telling us not to do. I've seen that too. So we need to speak the truth in love. I think it's a beautiful thing that Jesus uses the illustration of an eye here. As an example, can you think of a more sensitive body part? <laughs> it's so sensitive. I mean, if you go, you know, to, if you go to remove something from someone else, it's like, I, you, you even get, you're not even touching it. They're like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and if you're too rough, they close up. And so, so we have to learn to be gentle with one another if we are to be used by the Holy Spirit in helping others grow spiritually. Let's continue with our last verse from our passage, verse six. And let me just say, this is very puzzling. It's a puzzle. Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they tremble them underfoot and turn to attack you. Amen. (laughs) Let's go home. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. This verse is kind of odd to me, and it it doesn't really go with the teaching, uh, you know, that follows after this. And and Raz is going to preach next, you know, next Sunday. It kind of works with what we're talking about today, I think, I think. Many scholars are very puzzled on what Jesus, you know, is talking about here. It's even possible that Jesus is referencing a well-known saying that people would have known, would have been aware of back then. And that's why he doesn't really explain it. Obviously, it's lost on us. Dogs, pearls, pigs. I was never tempted to give jewelry to a pig, so not sure what he means by that, right? There are other interpretations that I've heard or read about, but they just don't hold up and I don't have the time to go through them. So what I think this means is this. Jesus is using verse six to simply say, don't use your judgment. Use your judgment. Don't use your judgment. Use your judgment. Because what could be more silly than giving expensive jewelry to a pig? What could be more silly than to give sacred food, let's say the showbread of a temple to a wild dog? So this, this idea that when you are used by God to, to, to go and expose sin or preach the gospel, which is a very delicate thing, right? But, but you are actually doing it to someone who wants nothing to do with it. Like, dude, leave me alone. I'll punch you out, Right? So we're not talking about a a house dog, a cute pet pig, but a wild animal. Like think of a wild boar or a wild coyote. And imagine you see 
one of these animals outside and like, oh, they haven't eaten a long time. They've been just sitting there for three days. It's snowing outside. Let me just go and give them some food, right? Okay. And you go and you're trying to be very delicate. And as you offer some food, the thing just goes and bites your hand off. And you're like, oh, that's fine. I have the other hand. It's just a flesh wound. Like, dude, use your discernment. Use your judgment, not your judgment. Like, what are you doing? Right? When you go spreading the gospel, we are going to encounter people that are going to bite the hand that is trying to feed them the truth. We're going to encounter that. Proverbs 9, 8 says this. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So the question is, how do you know the difference between a scoffer and a wise man? You may not know the difference until you actually try to share the gospel, right? And you're doing your absolute best and to speak the truth in love. And you're not being judgmental and you're trying to not be destructive. You're, you're trying to take that little speck out of the eye, right? And it's delicate, but you're doing a great job and they are just not having it. The reason I think this is the strongest interpretation for this puzzling passage or verse, because Jesus gives the same instruction to his disciples, Right, and, and he, when they're out in the village pair by pair, they're sharing the gospel. And this is what Jesus tells them in Matthew 10, 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Very clear. And Jesus isn't saying that he doesn't care about those people. What he's saying is, why are you still knocking at that door, man, that continues to get slammed in your face? Use your judgment. Use your discernment. Not to give up on stubborn people and hard-hearted people. Let's not over-interpret this, right? But you can move to the next house and share the gospel with a, a person that accepts it, with a person of peace, with someone who's open. You can still pray for the, you know, for the person that's hard-hearted, that has only animosity towards you. And we all have a person like that in our life, don't we? Maybe a family member, a coworker, who's just ready to bite your hand off at the smallest comment of or remark about Jesus or the gospel, right? And I'm here to say, church, in closing, let's use our judgment, our discernment, as in our discernment and not our judgment, meaning condemning and destroying someone with our words. More condemnation is not going to bring that person to repentance. Paul is very clear, right? He says that only God's kindness will do that. So we're going to use our judgment to identify truth. We're going to use our judgment to, to, to share that truth, but we are not going to be judgmental when we do it. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.